Well, good morning again, and welcome to H2O Church. I'm uh, Matt Party, one of the pastors here, and I get to introduce my good friend, Matt Oshesky, when they're talking about Pastor Matt. Uh, this is the other Pastor Matt. I had the privilege of planting a church with this guy. Six years ago, seven years ago, we went up to H2O Toledo and started that, and Matt O has done an awesome job of leading that church for us. As you know, we're part of an H2O network and lots of churches, and Matt's been one of the trailblazers for us to go plant that church. He's a great friend. He's one of my most loyal friends. Meeting with him uh, most Wednesdays and just talking about life is always a huge blessing. And you were here for a long time. This is where he became a pastor, and he actually used to sing for us at H2O Bowling Green. He's got a great voice. We just had his wife's 40th birthday party at our house, and we broke out some karaoke, and this guy did some amazing karaoke, so he's a very talented guy, and uh, we love having him and the H2O uh, Toledo people with us this summer. So, Matt, thanks for being here. Uh, looking forward to hearing what God has to say through you, so give a warm welcome to Matt Oshesky. All right. It is so good to be here. 50% of everything that Matt said is true. The other 50% are all lies. Um, so I, I'm really excited to be here this weekend to continue as we've been talking about this uh, Hall of Faith series. And so if you've been here with us uh, or if you have not been here with us and you're just here for the first time to get us all caught up, we're in this one chapter of the Bible in the New Testament. So this is after Jesus has um, been crucified, risen from the dead, um, and so there's this book called Hebrews, and in this chapter, it's really looking back at all these incredible women and men all the way back in the Old Testament, before Jesus ever walked the earth, and uh, really inspiring stories of how people have trusted God uh, despite incredible circumstances in their lives. Um, and really just crazy stories that we can look back on and say, look what God has done in these people's lives. And so anytime I talk about faith, I try to fit in this little saying just because I think it's, it's helpful in us understanding what faith is about. And that saying is, faith is not the absence of evidence. Faith is not the absence of of evidence. And the reason I, I say that, and the reason we're going through Hebrews 11, is that we're looking back on all these women and men, these stories that we may know or we may not know. Um, we're looking back and we're able to see that this is evidence of people that went way before us, that stood long before us in this deep, intimate trust, faith that they had in God. And these women and men are our evidence to know that we can trust God as well. Because at the end of this section, it transitions into chapter 12, and this is what it says. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, just replace great cloud of witnesses with the word evidence, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So these women and men, these stories that we hear are the witnesses. They are the evidence to help us build our faith. And so something that we've been doing at the University of Toledo this summer to, to help us to even add additional stories to these is I've been asking students to uh, put in our group messaging app, uh, our summer, summer group me that we have, um, tell me a story 
of how you have trusted God, of how you have put your faith in God in a life situation, or tell me a story about a person that has inspired you to increase, to inspire your faith. And people have just been texting in things uh, throughout this past month, and it's been really cool to see where people have been inspired by others and where people have been challenged. I mean, every time I get, I got two this morning at six o'clock in the morning. I don't know what those people were doing up, but they sent them at six o'clock this morning. And so it's been really inspiring to see that uh, piece of evidence, those pieces of evidence for us. And so this week, we're going to continue in Hebrews, and we're going to be looking at uh, a man named Isaac. He's our next example of evidence. And here's what it says about Isaac in Hebrews 11. It says, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. That's it. That's all it says. Okay? That doesn't give us a whole lot. All right? So for readers back then, closest to when uh, the book of Hebrews was written, they would, they would understand this story. They would have a context of, oh yeah, I remember that story. And they would be inspired and challenged by this. Now, for us today, I would assume that we have kind of a, a mixed crowd this morning. We have some of you that you don't really know that story. You don't know about Isaac, Jacob, and Esau and what's referring to that blessing. And so you're not really sure how to be inspired by this. And, that, and that's okay if you've never heard the story or you don't even remember it. Now, there's others of you that, that do remember the story. Maybe you've grown up in church and you've heard this story so many times, uh, but you're thinking, wait, uh, I do remember this story, and this story's really messed up. Like, there's not a really ho a whole lot of redeeming qualities about this story, but the author of Hebrews seems to identify it as a positive trait of faith where Isaac trusted God. Well, we're going to have to get into this a little bit, and, and I'm just going to warn you right now, there's going to be a lot of storytelling because uh, I just think that's better than me reading the whole story of Isaac. So we're going to be kind of going back and forth of me telling the story and then us actually reading different sections of scripture. So if you like stories, you'll like this morning. So we need to just get uh, behind the curtain of what this means. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. But we have to start where Brian left, the, left us off last week where he talked about Abraham. Abraham was this man that God gave a promise. He made a covenant with Abraham, telling Abraham that you are going to be the father of future generations, that your descendants are going to be a great nation, and you're going to have so many descendants, they're going to be more than the sands on a seashore, more than the stars in the sky, and you're going to be a great, great nation. And that's what he promised Abraham. Now, Isaac is Abraham's son. And so this generational covenant, this promise, was passed down to Isaac. And it's very much Isaac's intention to pass this down to his family. And so that's, that's what we have. And so we move forward into Genesis 25, where the story of Isaac's family really begins. So Isaac marries a woman named Rebekah, and they don't have any kids yet. They get married around 40, or at least when Isaac was 40. They don't have any kids, so Isaac prays, um, and lo and behold, Rebecca gets pregnant. And here's where we're going to pick up the story here. Just one, one simple verse. It says, the babies jostled each other within her. So that is babies in plural, twins, okay? And they're already fighting. 
That's what that means when they're jostling. They're already fighting in the womb. And Brian, last week, he mentioned how he really loves the authenticity of uh, the Bible, that the Bible does not hide or um, leave out embarrassing stories. And I love that about the Bible too, but I love sometimes in, in the Bible, you'll start reading stories, and I just love the human responses you get. Okay, so we just read that the babies jostled each other within her, and this is how Rebecca responds to this. She says, why is this happening to me? Like, she is straight up annoyed. And for those of you women that have been pregnant and have had babies, you understand this question. Why is this happening? And sometimes I wonder, why is this happening is not really the right question. You understand why it's happening. Um, you're, the, the question really is, what is happening to me? Um, I know I heard that from my wife multiple times when we had our first child. Um, just what is happening? What is going on inside of there? And so that's, that's where Rebecca is at. So in her discomfort and in her pain, she decides she's going to go to God and ask Hey, what's, what's the deal here? So it says, the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. So she goes to God and asks him, what's going on inside of me? And he gives a very strange response. Two nations are in your womb. And we're going to find out this. Uh, we Actually, we won't find this out later this morning. But later in the story that we're not going to read about, um, one of these babies represents the nation of Israel. And another baby, uh, the other twin, is going to represent uh, the nation of Edom, the Edomites. Okay, we're not going to really get into that, but these two twin babies are going to represent two different nations. And then God continues. And two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Now, I need you to know how important that last section is, because in this time and in this culture, the older would never serve the younger, that's not how it went. The pattern was the older was the representative of the family. They had the power and the authority to get all the things that the father would pass on to them. And so this is what was expected that was going to happen between Isaac and his firstborn. That you were responsible for the family development and the future prosperity and the blessing after your father was gone. So imagine with me on how strange it would have been for Rebecca to hear this. This would have been completely out of left field. So unexpected that the older would serve the younger. Now then imagine with me when Isaac gets home, which this really isn't part of the story, but I imagine that they had a conversation about this, right? They're a married couple. Rebecca gets a weird word from God. I am confident that they probably had a conversation about it. It's not recorded in the Bible, but, but I imagine Isaac uh, gets home and he asks Rebecca, hey, how was your day, Rebecca? You know, because husbands don't have any more creative questions to ask other than how was your day. Um, and so uh, she's, she's probably like, first of all, these kids are driving me crazy. They're fighting inside of me. And then second, I went to go ask God about that and he told me that the older would serve the younger. That's weird, right? That's strange, right, Isaac? That's not how it's supposed to be. And I'm sure that Isaac probably had, I see that there's potential three responses that Isaac had in this moment. One, that was not God. You did not hear that. You're crazy. Uh, for those of you that want to get married or are married, do not say that to your wife. 
Um, another potential response could have been, uh, that's never going to happen, that's just not how it works. And then the final response uh, could have been, well, if God said so, then it must be. Well, we, again, we don't really know what kind of conversation they had, how that went down, because um, after it says Rebecca heard that from God, it just goes immediately into the birth of these babies. And so we have these twin boys that are born. We have Esau, who is the oldest, and we have Jacob, who is the youngest, and we won't get into the details of their birth, but you can go and read that. It is quite funny um, on how all that went down. But as they grow, it's very apparent that they're, they're very different children. They're extremely different. Uh, Esau is a hunter. Um, he just likes to be outdoors, likes to, to kill things um, and make food. And Jacob is more of a homebody. He just likes to stay at home, um, be close to his family. And it's within these differences that uh, really makes up one of the biggest parenting mistakes uh, that you can make as a parent. And Isaac and Rebecca did it. Um, they had favorites. Uh, Esau was Isaac's favorite um, because he was the oldest. Um, he seemed to be the rugged man going out and killing animals. And Jacob was just a homebody. And Rebecca really, really loved Jacob. And this favoritism caused issues as the kids grew. Um, Esau, Esau and Jacob, they had a very contentious relationship. Uh, just as they jostled and fought in the womb, uh, they continued to do that as kids as they grew up. And it was all leading up to this moment uh, that we're going to get to here in Genesis 27. And we're going to get to this moment where we're going to start to understand why the author of Hebrews said, by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. And again, this, this story is not, it's not clean. It's not pristine. It's, it's messy. So what we have happening here is that Isaac has gotten older. Um, he has gone blind. And he's not sure how much longer he has to live. So he starts thinking about this promise that was passed down by his father, Abraham. That there would, they would be a great nation and that he wants to pass that blessing down to his oldest son just like it was passed down to him. And so he calls for Esau. Esau, come in. I want you to go and I want you to go kill a wild animal and I want you to make food out of it because that was part of the, the tradition. That's how the blessing was to go down. That you were supposed to eat a meal and then you were supposed to pass it down to your oldest son. So he says, go out, kill an animal. I want you to make food and then I want you to come back and I want to give my blessing to you. This is a huge moment. For Isaac, this is a huge moment for Esau, something that, is, something that he has always expected his whole life. So he leaves. Well, Rebecca is there. She hears all of this, and she loves Jacob, and she's going to make sure that this does not happen. She's going to make sure that Jacob eventually ends up getting that blessing. So she calls for Jacob, and she basically sells him on the idea of, we're going to trick your father today. He's blind, um, we're, we're going to make this happen, but I need you to listen to me, I need you to listen to me very carefully, and I need you to do everything quickly. We don't have much time. And so we see Rebecca here is probably one of the first snowplow parents. You guys heard of these, these people? 
Used to be helicopter parents where parents would hover over their children and ask questions like, did you do this? Did you do that? Did you get everything right? And they would hover. Now it's snowplow parents where parents are literally trying to plow any uh, obstacles out of their kid's way so in order to make their life easier. Uh, yeah, we got a graphic. Uh, a la the uh, campus uh, or the, the college tuition scandal that just came up a few months ago. Uh, that is an example of a snowplow parent. And this is Rebecca, to the T. So she gives the plan. Uh, Jacob gets dressed up in Esau's clothes. Uh, he puts animal hair on his arms, his hands, and his neck because Esau was a very hairy, hairy man. And uh, they have their plan put together. And now it's time for Jacob to go before his father and trick him. So Jacob enters the room and the deception is on. First, he just, get, he just gets right into it. He's like, I've got your food, Father. Uh, you know, I'm ready for the blessing. And Isaac wonders how he could have killed an animal so quickly and made the food. Uh, and he basically just lies to his dad. He said, God gave me success, and so I am here. So Isaac, he, he's a little skeptical. He's, he's not sure who is actually before him. You know, he, he feels the hairy hands. He has... He has Jacob come close enough where he can feel the hairy hands. So it, it feels like Esau, but he says, it's, it's the voice of Jacob. I don't understand what's going on here. And so again, he asks Esau, or he asks, he asks if, if it is Esau, and Jacob lies again. So at this point, uh, Isaac, he's feeling a little bit more confident in who is before him. He thinks it's Esau, so he requests that the food be brought to him so that they can get to the blessing. And after the meal, just to make sure, one more time, Isaac does one more test, and he says, come here, kiss me, my son, give me a kiss. And so when Jacob gets close enough, Isaac smells Esau's clothes. So he's going off the instinct of smell at this point. So he's pretty confident, so he begins his blessing. And this is what the blessing says. Jacob went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. So he just gave the younger son, Jacob, the blessing of a great future nation and being in a position of power to lead the future of this family and nation. So as soon as this blessing is done, Jacob's, I'm out of here. Get in, get out. That was the plan. And not too soon after he leaves, Esau comes back and he wants his blessing. Well, both Isaac and Esau put uh, connect the dots together, and they, they realize they've been duped by Jacob. That Jacob has taken over this blessing. And let me just tell you, according to the tradition of this time and this culture, there were, there were no take-me-backsies. There was no, like, redo on this. Like, once the blessing was done, it was a done deal. And so we, we read that Isaac is trembling in anger like physically trembling in anger because he realizes what has been done. And Esau just starts pleading because he wants a blessing 
just like Jacob got. And so he starts begging his, his dad. And so Esau says to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. And then his, fa- his father Isaac answered him, Your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother, but when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. And notice how different that blessing was. That doesn't seem like a blessing, right? Like we interpret blessing as something of prosperity, something of you're going to have power and riches and there's going to be good fortune for you in the future. That's, that's not necessarily how they saw blessings back then. Sometimes blessings were just, here's what your future looks like. It was just saying, this is what life is going to be for you in the future. Jacob's was a positive, full of hope filled blessing, while Esau's was just bleak. And so then the rest of chapter 27 ends with Esau declaring he will kill Jacob once his father dies. Um, that's something you don't uh, see too often in families. Uh, but Rebecca, once again, she, she does her snowplow thing, and she finds out Esau's plans, and uh, she manipulates Isaac into convincing him, hey, we should send Jacob far away. We should send him to another land. And that's how chapter 27 ends. Okay, so at this point in the story, uh, there should be some serious questions popping up in your heads about how all of this went down, about what we read all the way back in Hebrews 11, where this seems very positive, but some of the questions is, why is this so messed up, and why would the author of Hebrews portray this as a positive display of faith by, by Isaac? And how can we consider this faith by Isaac when he was tricked. He didn't give a genuine blessing here. He was tricked into giving a blessing. And so this just seems very confusing. Well, something changes in between chapters 27 and 28, and we're not exactly sure what happens, uh, but Isaac has changed his mind about all of this. He has a reconsideration And I think it's because he's considering back to the conversation that him and Rebecca probably had about what God said to Rebecca, saying that the older will serve the younger. And I think Isaac started, I think he started thinking on that. I think he started looking back and thinking, there's nothing ideal about this situation. There's nothing redeeming about this situation. I don't like how I was manipulated out of giving a blessing that meant so much to me. This goes against all that I've ever known. All the traditions of passing down blessing to the older, it's all out the window. I don't like this one bit. But God did say it would be this way. And so maybe I should just trust what he says because this is what happens at the beginning of chapter 28. It says this, So Isaac called for Jacob, and he blessed him. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. 
So Isaac, he wasn't tricked this time. This was a genuine blessing where he just submitted and humbled himself to the plan that God had that was so drastically different than his. And I know it's taken us a while to get here, and I know the big idea usually comes at the beginning of a message here at Bowling Green, but I've, I've teased it all the way out. So here's the big idea for this morning. When life goes differently than expected, that may be what God wanted all along. And here's what I want us to do with that big idea. I not only want us to believe it, I also want us to get comfortable with it. Because there's, there's one aspect of believing something and then taking that belief and over time actually becoming comfortable with it. I'm not saying your initial reaction always needs to be when life isn't going the way that you expected. I'm not saying it absolutely right away needs to be this must be what God wanted. But I think it's the idea of coming to a point where we're actually comfortable with what God may be doing in your life when it's not going the way that you thought it would go. And here's why I want us to get comfortable with this big idea. Because throughout history, this has been a consistent way that God has operated. Not all the time, but consistently. Now you have to remember, we are in the first book of the Bible. We're in Genesis, okay? So we're not that far along in the story of God, and he's already flipping upside down cultural norms. And then if we read throughout Scripture, and I'm just going to give you a few examples, but they're all throughout. All throughout, we see more examples of God just flipping things upside down. David, he was the runt of the family of boys. He was not the most physically appealing he had much stronger brothers, and he ended up becoming king of Israel. Rahab, who we're probably going to hear about later in this uh, Hebrew series, she was a prostitute that God used in, to develop this story that God was making. And then Jesus himself, he was from a podunk town called Nazareth. Nobody cared about Nazareth. It was a laughable city. If the story wanted to be great and grand, Jesus would have been born in Jerusalem. That's how that story should have gone. But he decided that's not how it was going to be. And then again, Jesus, according to the plans of everyone else, Jesus was not supposed to die. That was never the plan. Jesus was not supposed to die. He was supposed to be enthroned as a political king. The Jewish people would be on top of the world for once instead of being enslaved and uh, empowered by other people. And so Jesus was never supposed to die. He was supposed to bring power and authority to the nation of Israel. But again, Jesus, part of God's story, does things drastically different because by how most people consider getting ahead in the world, by gaining more power and authority, Jesus decided to give up his power and authority in order that he could break the power and authority of sin in our lives, the sin of greed, the sin of hatred, the sin of unforgiveness. You just, you just name the sin. God came to break the power of that in our lives. When we're seeking more power in all these different areas of our lives, Jesus came and said, I want to break the power down of that. 
And that is his example, that he gave up his power to break the power so that we can live like that as well. So God over the years has been consistently abnormal to what we think should happen. And so I think by faith, Isaac just humbled himself to that truth. I think he just realized God's got something different. So I should give my son a genuine blessing. And so by faith, he gave both of his sons a genuine blessing. Is this something for all of us to consider this morning? I am sure that there are people in this room this morning where life maybe just hasn't gone how you have wanted it to go. Uh, Whether that's now or if you look into your past and you think, man, those were some rough years. I don't really understand what was happening. Maybe it's even time to consider to think. Maybe God had a different plan and that there's something good and redeemable and loving about what God was trying to do. Just like we read about or we sang about God being a good, good father. And then he put these things in your lives for you to consider what is God doing. If you had to walk around or if we had a bunch of people in this room this morning that have been following God for a while and they had to come up here and tell their story, I am sure at some point, and just like we heard in Caitlin's story, at some point, someone's going to mention a time in their life where things were not going the way that they thought they should and God intervened and came into that space and showed them something different. And it's because their eyes and their ears were open and considering that maybe that's what God wanted. Now I can promise you this. These things that you may be going through now, they may be the evidence that you have for the future that you can tell others about the faithfulness and the goodness of God. And so for us this morning, it's not just enough to believe it, but we need to go even a step further as the church As people that are continuing to build this evidence, we must be comfortable with the evidence that God puts in our lives. So let me pray.